The Truth News Network. A politician on the campaign trail once said, We choose truth over facts. I don't need to mention any names, Joe Biden. But if you think that statement is reassuring, you're probably not going to like what happens next. Because you're in the home of blunt force truth, of conservative thought, not just talk, of facts that are truth. Welcome to TNN, the Truth News Network. And here's Dan Newman. Yep, we have the facts for you. We do that every day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Wednesday. Honestly, just to be honest about it, it doesn't seem like a Wednesday to me. I got up early this morning and I go to a 6 a.m. prayer meeting every Monday through Friday. So I get in my car at 5.30 and I start thinking through what happened yesterday, what happened overnight when we dig into the facts, the incidents, whatever they are, really important ones that we bring to you here on TNN Live later in that morning, later in this morning, right now, as a matter of fact. And I started thinking about all that. Honestly, it seems like instead of Wednesday, it should be Saturday. It seems like we've had a full week already. And we really have. It's like the incident clock never stops running in the United States and in the Biden administration. And every day, just when you think it can't get worse, that no more bad information or news can come out It does exactly that. Think about it. Our economy sucks. Unemployment, though, the numbers of people that are unemployed that are making unemployment claims, that's how they give us the unemployment numbers. It's not how many people out there aren't working. It's how many are not making or filing unemployment claims. So that's a false narrative, to be honest with you. We know There are a lot of people that aren't working and they're not making claims. So they don't count as unemployed. You may not have known that. There are all kinds of ways the government manipulates numbers to make them look good for them. It's really tough for the experts in the Biden administration to be able to do that about economic issues, every economic issues. Our inflation is through the roof. Gasoline in many places today, and I'm not talking about just places like California, I'm talking about Las Vegas. Cost of gasoline went over $6 a gallon there. They've never seen that before. It's incredible. Biden's going to fix it. Oh my gosh, he's going to fix it. So he's going to release another 20 million barrels of oil, and that's going to fix everything. And he did that. He ordered it last week. We know how much oil we use every day here in the United States, 15 million barrels. So what Joe did by tapping once again our strategic petroleum reserves, what he did is he gave us a a day and a half of gasoline. Think about that. They don't talk to us about what goes on behind what we see. You know, what we see is just what they want us to see. And it always is painted as a pretty picture when it seldom is. So it's another day in Biden, uh, Biden dice, paradise, Biden dice. I'm still thankful I live in the United States of America. I'm thankful we have a representative republic government structure. I'm thankful it still is at some level 
we're not seeing it a lot, but in its foundation, somewhere down there, government by the people, of the people, and for the people. We need to lock in on that and make sure everybody knows that that's what this country has always been about, is today, and will be forever. Government by the people. We own our government. Every federal building in Washington, D.C., you own a little piece of it. Did you know that? Every federal office, every aircraft carrier, every tank, every F-15, F-32, you own a little piece of it. Why? Because you're a United States citizen. And our government owns and runs the military, and we own the government. Do that little string where you go up and one group goes through an arrow up to this group, and that group, there's another arrow that goes up to another group, way down at the bottom of the U.S. citizens. But up at the top, we still own it all. This government, this administration, certainly does not think that way. They don't treat you and I like we're their bosses. They treat us like we're their minions, not even their employees. They're minions. And because of that, we have to just listen to everything they say and swallow it as truth, hook, line, and sinker. Honestly, that's happening less and less and less. And that's a good thing. We need the light of truth to expose everything and everybody in Washington, D.C. And we're going to do that today. I hope you came here looking for a big show with a lot of information. In our first hour, we're going to kind of break down things, starting with the Fetterman-Oz debate last night. That's dominating the news this morning, and it should dominate the news. We're actually going to let you listen to a little bit of it for yourself, uh, especially the sound bites when it really shows that John Fetterman has a real problem. And John Fetterman has no business even thinking about running for the U.S. Senate. Do you know how that happened? He's the lieutenant general of the state of Pennsylvania. He decided he was going to run for that empty seat in the United States Senate, Pennsylvania seat. And so he did. So the Friday before the Democrat primary, now think about that. That's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, four days before the primary. He had his massive stroke. And one would think that everybody would come out and say, let's push this, this uh, primary out or John Fetterman's just going to have to pass maybe next time until he gets better if he gets better. But no, the Democrat Party in Pennsylvania didn't tell anybody. They didn't go out there and give voters the truth that Fetterman was in the hospital, could not speak that Tuesday morning. Didn't want anybody to know about that because they didn't have anybody else that was worth a flip in the primary. And that's a sad thing if Fetterman's the best that they had, even if he was clicking on 100%. And so it is what it is. And he's been dodging interviews for obvious reasons. He struggles to get sentences put together. And we're going to show you a little bit of that in just a few minutes. Actually, we can't show you. We're going to tell you about it and let you listen to him. He suffered the stroke, and it set the world on fire when the truth came out. So this much-anticipated showdown last night happened in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 
where moderators immediately announced that both candidates had access, equal access to closed captioning. Fetterman made it, in fact, he demanded it be part of the debate, any debate with Oz that he would enter into, for him, quote, to help him process the questions. Fetterman's struggles persisted throughout the hour-long debate. He fought through awkward pauses, a bunch of them. I felt bad for him, and he struggled with words all the way through. The trouble for Fetterman started right at the beginning when he responded to the first question saying this, his first words, Hi, good night, everybody. Hi, good night, everybody. So later, while he was speaking about his record on crime as a mayor of Braddock, he made several gaffes. I was able to stop gun violence for five and a half years as mayor. Ever accomplished before or since my time as mayor because I'm the only person on this stage right now that has successful about pushing against gun violence and being the community more safe. That's a direct quote. The real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served, he stated. I believe, I believe that a secure border is, can be compatible with compassion, Fetterman said when he was speaking about illegals crossing our southern border. I believe that we need a bipartisan solution for immigration. That's what I believe. I don't ever recall in the Statue of Liberty that said, take our tired, huddled masses and put them on a bus and use cheap political stunts about them. He previously noted he was dealing with what he calls an auditory processing issue as a result of that stroke. On the 15th, just less than two weeks ago, his primary care physician noted that he continues to exhibit auditory processing disorder symptoms. So what what are we going to do here? We're going to let you listen in for yourself. Here's Fetterman and Dr. Oz, and this is about, uh, let's see, let me see how long it is. Just a few minutes. It's a synopsis. It's four minutes long, and I'll break in in the middle of it to kind of give you a clue on the next phrase, but Dr. Oz and Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. I'm running to serve Pennsylvania. He's running to use Pennsylvania. And let's also talk about the elephant in the room. I had a stroke. He's never let me forget that. And I might miss some words during this debate, mush two words together, but it knocked me down, but I'm going to keep coming back up. I'm running for the U.S. Senate because Washington keeps getting it wrong with extreme positions. John Fetterman takes everything to an extreme, and those extreme positions hurt us all. What we have to do is ensure that we don't have increased inflation, and the best way to do that is reduce gas prices. John Fetterman has gone after the energy industry, called it a stain on Pennsylvania. He has never met an air, uh, uh, an oil company that he doesn't swipe right about. There should not be involvement from the federal government in how states decide their abortion decisions. I want women, doctors, local political leaders, letting the democracy that's always allowed our nation to thrive. If you believe that the choice of your reproductive freedom belongs with Dr. Oz, then you have a choice. But if you believe that the choice for abortion belongs between you and your doctor, that's what I fight for. Will you pledge tonight 
to release those records in the interest of transparency. Uh, to me, for transparency is about showing up. I'm here today to have a debate. He keeps talking about Bernie, Bernie Sanders. You know, three, year, three years ago, he was on his show and he hugged him and he said, I love this guy. You know what? Why don't you pretend that you, you live in Vermont instead of Pennsylvania and run against Bernie Sanders? Go stop right here for a second and just remind you, this is the guy that wants to serve in the U.S. Senate. That is the largest, most important body, maybe outside of the presidency, in our government. It's called the upper chamber in the U.S. government for a purpose. It's where all of the big issues are made. And when I say big issues, we're talking about uh, holding people accountable. We're talking about impeachment. We're talking about getting a small majority of those hundred senators that vote on every issue and having to debate and get people to come across and accept your particular position, trying to be the final voice of the American people, creating and crafting legislation that then goes to the president. He wants to be part of that. Here's more. I strongly support fracking, drilling, the piping of that natural gas. I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. I'm the only person on this stage right now that has con, con, was successful about pushing back against gun violence and being the community more safe. You know, all he's done is just put a plan up on his website in the last 24 hours. Part of the problem is that we have taken away the ability of police to do their job, and that's on John Fetterman. Because John Fetterman has taken such a harsh position against them. He's undermined them at every level. I would support Donald Trump if he decided to run for president. All right. But this is bigger than one candidate. My campaign is all about fighting for anyone in Pennsylvania that ever got knocked down, that had to get back up again. You know, I'm also fighting for any forgotten community all across Pennsylvania. Ask yourself this and others in your family. Are you unhappy with where America's headed? I am. And if you are as well, then I'm the candidate for change. Listening to that, I got to be honest for you. I really feel sorry for John Fetterman. And I hope he gets over and uh, revives, gets back to 100% from his stroke. I really do. But honestly... He doesn't need to do that while he's serving in the U.S. Senate. What he needs to do is get well, and if and when he gets well, and he wants to represent the people of Pennsylvania, six years from now when that seat opens up, run for it. But he's nowhere near being ready for it. Now let me tell you some of the travesties in here. He refused to debate Oz over and over and over again. Then he agreed to do just one abate, debate and he made it mandatory that it would be last night just days before the election now let me tell you something else that makes it kind of bad as of yesterday of all the mail-in ballots that were sent out half half of Pennsylvania's mail-in ballots have already been returned So those people made a decision about who they were going to vote on before they watched this debate last night. Now, you can speculate, it's what we all do, about what they're doing, what their thoughts were, and who they voted for. It's hard for me to believe, even what we knew before John Fetterman's stroke, that anybody in Pennsylvania would just 
send in a ballot voting for him without listening to him face off against his opponent. And the same thing's true about Emmett Oz. I can't understand a scenario where that would happen, but it did. So there probably, almost certainly, are a bunch of people numbered among those half of the mail-in ballot voters that have returned their, their ballots. There are several of them that wish they could change their vote. And you know what? That's why Fetterman did what he did. His people told him, hey, prolong this as long as you can because uh, Dr. Oz is breathing down your throat. So Joe Biden was out there. He went to do an appearance with John Fetterman. The president's going to attend a fundraiser on October 28th, we're told, at the Pennsylvania Democrat Party dinner. And also plans to barnstorm the state on November 5th. Barack Obama also plans to campaign for John Fetterman. Democrats are struggling to pull Fetterman across the finish line, particularly after that performance last night. I got to be honest with you. If I was them, I would find some way in the Pennsylvania government, in the laws of Pennsylvania, election laws, I would find some way to make a change right now. I don't know if they could. But Dr. Oz is going to storm Pennsylvania for all those who haven't voted. Nobody, nobody should put this man in a position where he could hurt himself. I mean, think about it. He struggled, struggled again and again and again, and he always does. That's what happens to many stroke victims to communicate. And that's because when you have a stroke, what happens, it impacts the blood flow to a part of your brain. And that blood flow is typically blocked off by a clot. And for a period of time, that part of your brain doesn't get oxygen. And sadly... When there's a stroke, almost in every case, part of the brain cells that were damaged die and they can't come back. Sometimes it happens to stroke victims, sometimes it doesn't. One of my best friends, Marty Kent, all-American place kicker for Louisiana Tech University. He's a father of two, happily married, got a great career. He had a massive stroke about 10 years ago. I mean, really, really bad. In a wheelchair for a period of time, struggling to communicate. God intervened, healed Marty Kent. Now, he listens to this show, and I'm going to brag about Marty doing what he does. He's on top of a really big, successful company that he took from, I mean, nothing, and made it a real winner, a company that's making a buttload full of money every year on his watch. So he overcame that, but it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen from September to October the 25th when, from the time Fetterman had his stroke to last night when he did his debate. And there are no guarantees that he's ever going to get back to 100%. The people of Pennsylvania don't deserve to have someone in Congress that is not all there mentally biologically, and it's not his fault. He's not a bad person because it happened. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And in this case, that's exactly what happened. A big Democrat loss in Pennsylvania in the election coming up 
it's going to raise doubts about Biden's political strength, especially since I told you he's coming to Pennsylvania. He was there yesterday. Barack Obama is coming in too. If they can't pull it off, it's going to be bad for Democrats and bad for Joe Biden. Biden stressed the importance of Fetterman's election during a fundraiser last week, warning Republicans might take control of the Senate. And he said, we got to win. John has got to win. John has got to win. He praised John, this is Joe Biden, for fighting like hell and appeared optimistic that he would help outlaw assault weapons if he's elected to the Senate. Let me, let me just say this. If this president, if any of these candidates running for the U.S. House of Representatives or the Senate around the nation, if they're going to make assault weapons and an assault weapon ban a key in their debates and in their campaigns, I got to be honest with you, they've lost it. I'm getting sick and tired of Joe Biden calling a gun just because it's a long gun, an assault rifle. He has no clue or he has a clue and he lies every time and he does it thinking that Democrats and other Americans are too stupid to know the facts. None of you listening are too stupid to know the facts. And we've had this conversation again. M4s, M4s are the automatic version of the AR-15. The AR-15 is not an assault rifle. It can't shoot like Joe Biden says it does. The only gun, the long rifle in the United States, the most common one, is an M4. And they're only common in two places. The military, every branch of the military has M4 assault rifles, as Joe Biden calls them, and they're assault wipe, uh, weapons to use in the case of a war. It gives the shooter an advantage. An AR-15 is a semi-automatic weapon. I own one. You pull the trigger one time, and one shell fires. You let go of the trigger, pull it again, another one fires. It's no different than a regular weapon where you can insert more than the one bullet that's in the chamber to fire. There are billions, folks, of semi-automatic weapons owned by the private citizenry in the U.S. How many assault rifles are out there? Maybe a few dozen among the populace. Why is there any ownership? It's virtually impossible to own one legally. And if you want to buy one, you have to go through an exhaustive process in applying for it. You do the regular background investigation when you want to buy any gun. That's just the starting point. If you pass that, it takes about a year because they go so deep into your history, into your current life, they can tell you your underwear size, no matter if you're a woman or a man. And yeah, there are only two of that, two genders, male, female. And then if you pass all of that, you have to pay a monstrous fee and then it has to be kept in certain circumstances. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to get, and it should be. Why would anybody want those? In the private sector, collectors are typically the only ones 
that are ever approved to own them. Now, you go to Chicago, oh my gosh, you can get on the street at night and just tell somebody what you're looking for. There may be two or three gun runners that show up to sell you an automatic weapon. Here's a novel idea, President Biden. Why don't you get your FBI? Don't get into the local law enforcement battles out there. Don't do that but get into taking the illegal guns that are illegal because they are violating federal gun laws. Why don't you take them off the street? Take them out of the hands of the drug lords. Take them out of the hands of these illegal immigrants coming across from Mexico. The gotaways, they purposely are coming across and hiding to become a gotaway, many of them bringing into the U.S. real assault weapons. Nobody ever talks about that. We talk about fentanyl and other horrible drugs they bring in here that are killing more Americans than ever before in history. We talk about that, and that's abysmal. We're not doing anything about that, let alone stopping the assault rifles coming in across our southern border. And they're not just coming from Mexico. There are assault rifles coming in here from all of the countries in Central America, in the South America, and even from the Bahamas coming from other nations way away, like Qatar. Do you even know where Qatar is? Yemen. Do you know where Yemen is? Lots of terrorists. Over a 100 terrorists that we found when they come in or on the terrorist watch list have been taken out of the, the line of getting into the country. How many of the gotaways are on some terrorist watch list? Mr. President, don't use a political race to raise a political talking point. An assault weapon ban, don't do that. The American people are on to you. Why don't you just enforce the laws? Now, last night, Fetterman stepped on himself in one really big thing. The moderator denied Fetterman's claim that closed captioning errors were responsible for his garbled language during the debate. Snap polls show this. Listen, 82% of viewers throughout Pennsylvania, 82% said he lost the debate. The other thing, he got called out in a lie about fracking. He has, from the beginning, always been dead set against fracking. And I've explained the fracking process. It's a deep well that's built and it directionally drills. And what that means, they literally can go straight down and then turn 90 degrees and do directional drilling, going into the rock formations, finding as much of that natural gas that's way down there, 10, 15,000 feet. And they find it and then they insert chemicals into the ground that will make those gas pockets free up and come to that drill pipe. And that's the way they are made. That's called fracking. That stuff that they put down the well to go in and frack the rock formations. John Fetterman said in the debate he'd always been for it. (laughs) He said he always for fracking. They played a soundbite in which he said he was dead set against it. Pennsylvania on his watch, it would be banned. That is a really big deal because 
Oil and gas in Pennsylvania is one of the biggest economic boondoggles they have. I mean, they've got a bunch of it. And beyond that, they have a bunch of coal. You know, these fossil fuel things. I got to be honest with you. I thought just because he's a Democrat and the Democrat Party is so strong, spent so much money, and uh, they really are big and do almost always a good job in campaigns, I thought he might pull it off, that he might win. Until the debate last night. And so the book is closed, I guess, on whether Fetterman can beat Oz and whether Oz can beat Fetterman. We won't find out for one day shy of two more weeks. If we find out then, don't be shocked if at 10 o'clock Tuesday night, November the 8th, we hear election operations closed down because of an internal computer problem. We'll come back tomorrow morning and start where we left off just like they happened in 2020. And then they come back the next morning and all of what we were told about the results that had come in up until 10 o'clock showed that one candidate was going to win. It was almost impossible for that candidate to overcome the lead of the other. And then the next morning, lo and behold, the other guy wins. Don't be shocked if that happens. And let me just remind you of this. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, before the 2020 election, somebody was jumping on her about Joe Biden in a press conference, and she pointed that bony finger at that person and said, make no mistake, on January the 20th of 2021, we will inaugurate a President Joe Biden. And she said it with such anger It was like she knew something. And of course it happened just like that. And guess what? She has said the same thing about this election coming up. Now, I'm not a prophet. (laughs) I'm I'm not into that. I'm not a foreseer. But I can tell you this. When the real leader of the Democrat Party says something like that, and we've seen it happen just like she said it would once, uh, it's not impossible to believe that it would happen again just like it happened in 2020. Well, guess who's coming back to be with us at the top of the next hour? A guy that everybody that knows anything about cryptocurrency has heard about him for decades. His name is Dunstan Teo, T-E-O. He's a native of Singapore. He moved from Singapore, moved his family to Dubai, and last month moved his family from Dubai to Orlando, Florida. So he's spending more time in the U.S. What he's coming to talk about, last time he was here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about cryptocurrency in general. And he is a big player and always has been in Bitcoin, but he's a co-founder of a currency, cryptocurrency, Philcoin. And I asked him to come back and spend exclusively a few minutes with us to explain to all of you the ins and outs of Philcoin, what it's about, what it does, and why it's different from every other cryptocurrency there is. So, Dunstan Tail, be here at the top of the next hour. Between now and then, we got a lot more. More TNN Live coming up. You get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. 
so much, I'm going to have to speed things up. <gasps> you can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here what? we go from the top. And action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. Cut so... it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good. I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Geico. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. There's only one Dan Newman. Anymore. Well, that just wouldn't be fair. I don't know about that. I really don't. One final comment about this... Um, John Fetterman situation. I heard last night after it was over, I, I started scanning the other the other networks, MSNBC, CNN, even the broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. None of the networks covered the debate. I can't understand why. We've been told for months now that that race, Fetterman and Oz, probably will decide control of the United States Senate. And nobody, not even Fox News, um, C-SPAN, nobody covered it. You had to go to a local television station streaming online to get the debate live. That really surprised me. But one final thought is the best thing I heard from any of the leftist pundits talking about the debate and the way it happened and the way John Fetterman handled it was a reporter for MSNBC said, man, Fetterman, he's further back in recovery from his stroke than I thought he would be. That was the best that I heard anybody say. Reality is sinking in today. Democrats know they have a problem there. And again, I'll say this. I hope the best for John Fetterman. But in my opinion, he's not fit to be a U.S. senator because of his cognitive problems and issues. And I hope he'll get over them. I want to dive into something for a few moments that uh, you probably don't know about. We know very little about Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell other than he is a guy that uh, he's on the border of being a rhino, Republican in name only, 
and he's in leadership, the number one spot in the Senate for Republicans. That just blows my mind that he could get that because he leans further left than any other leader in the Republican Party that I know of. And he's really jumping in there and making a mess right now. And it's a shame because it's right before the midterms election. This summer, he came out questioning the quality of his party's candidates. Every Republican running for every office nationwide. And now he's created a new rift inside the GOP by spending millions of dollars to defeat Alaska Republican Senate nominee Kelly Shabaka. Now you heard that right. The leader of the Senate, the Republican leader in the Senate, has created a new rift by spending millions from his leadership path to defeat Alaska GOP Senate nominee Kelly Shibaka. Now remember, Kelly is the nominee that Alaskan Republicans chose to represent them. McConnell's leadership pack, it's called the Senate Leadership Fund. They have been running attack ads against Shibaka in an effort to boost their moderate incumbent, Senator Lisa Murkowski, who is not in her policies and the way she votes. She is not a Republican. She's a Democrat. The Alaska Republican Party responded yesterday by voting to censure Mitch McConnell for spreading divisive and misleading statements about Shibaka, who was endorsed both by the state party and by Donald Trump. There you go. That's the worm in the room. (laughs) Donald Trump endorsed her. Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump despise each other. So it's kind of unusual for a state party to censure a national candidate that's not from their state. But they did, and it passed 49 to 8. It also declared McConnell's financial support for Murkowski to be in direct contradiction to the Republican Party's rules. Much of the financial support from the Senate Leadership Fund has been used for malicious political attack and targeted at our endorsed candidate, Kelly Shabaka, that are gross distortions of fact. Now, this is from the censure resolution. We request the Senate Leadership Fund immediately stop the attack ads against Kelly Shabaka and discontinue the support of all other opposing candidates. Now, the state party, they censured Murkowski, their senator, last year for voting to convict Trump in his impeachment trial for his role in the January 6th riot. And, of course, you know this. Trump was acquitted. Murkowski is one of the most moderate Republican senators. She sides with Democrats in voting to back Obamacare, opposing Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court nomination. Shabaka said McConnell's intervention in the Alaska race was wasting valuable resources that could go to defeat Democrats in other states. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Mitch McConnell. You know, this if I had hair on my head, it would frost me and it would stand up all over because anytime somebody makes a commitment, is working with, working for someone, and they go turn court, I hate that. That is the worst kind of things that happens in relationships and commitments in every such relationship we have in in our lives. I'm, I'm talking about friendship. 
I'm talking about working for, working with, and of course then into politics. Mitch McConnell is a leader, the minority leader in the U.S. Senate, and his super PAC is buying and producing and airing attack ads against the Senate nominee and the person running for the state of Alaska to be in the U.S. Senate. And, of course, Mitch McConnell is backing the incumbent, Lisa Mikowski. There's something going on here. In a way, it shouldn't surprise me. I'm going to tell you something you might not know. Back in the Iraq War, in the Bush 43 White House, there were three very powerful people. One was Dick Cheney, who was vice president. Another was Karl Rove. Think about this, Karl Rove. And one other heavyweight. I can't remember the name right now. But they were one. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell wasn't in the White House, but he was very powerful in everything the White House did because at that time he was the majority leader in the U.S. Senate. So Karl Rove and Mitch McConnell and Dick Cheney are the ones that got Bush to take us into war with Iraq. And many people then and many people now, more people now are and were against us going in because there was no real reason to go into Iraq. They used, they gave us, and they used the excuse going in there to get those weapons of mass destruction that they had. Come to find out, there were no weapons of mass destruction. And so what happened is we went in there and slaughtered thousands of Iraqi citizens, and they slaughtered hundreds of U.S. Americans needlessly. Wow. Now, let me tell you this same group, what they did. Now, Dick Cheney, remember that name. He's got a daughter who is not going to repeat herself as the representative from the state of Wyoming in the U.S. Congress and the House of Representatives. She lost in her primary race, Liz Cheney. And we know how she feels about all of this. She's coming out and she's basically saying she she's not a Republican anymore. She hasn't said it in those words, but that's pretty much what it is. And if the Republicans nominate Donald Trump, it's going to be the end of the world. It's kind of like the same thing that happened back there. They all told us that if we didn't go into Iraq, we were all going to die. I'm serious. So, In the last election in 2020, Karl Rove and Mitch McConnell went to Georgia to the Republican Party there and talked those two Republicans that were running for the U.S. Senate seat, talked them into not voting for the Republicans. Now think about that. We lost the Senate because of those two. They're very powerful. And when they go together, they're even more powerful. So keep that in mind. If you know that, you'll understand it's not such a big surprise that Mitch McConnell would actually 
campaign against a Republican candidate that was nominated by the Republican Party in their state, and he goes out against them. That's unheard of. What does that mean to me? I I was not for Mitch McConnell in his re-election race last time. I even came out on this show against him. Right now, folks, I think he's not up for another four years, maybe two years. How long? I guess that was two years ago, so that would mean he's up four years from now for re-election. Of course, his wife is uh, Asian. She's Chinese. And her family is filthy rich in uh, transportation. Transportation meaning ships. They own a plethora of big, big ships that come from China to the United States. She's worth millions And so through her husband, her Chinese family, very wealthy, very connected to the Chinese Communist Party, they've passed along a lot of money to candidates here in the United States that they support, that uh, support them. So another Chinese tie. And probably Mitch McConnell, when it's time for him to run for re-election, the next election for that seat in in, uh, Kentucky, He'll probably not run. He doesn't need the money after all. So guess what happened yesterday up in New York? A Staten Island Supreme Court judge ruled that New York City cannot fire employees for not getting vaccinated. That, of course, deals a blow to Democrat Mayor Eric Adams' pandemic policy. That judge, Justice Ralph Porzio, ordered the city to reinstate every fired employee and give them all their back pay. And he cited the fact that being vaccinated does not stop an individual from getting or spreading the disease, COVID-19. And thus being vaccinated doesn't grant enough community-wide benefit to warrant such a mandate. The health commissioner acted beyond his authority, the judge said, by issuing an indefinite vaccine mandate rather than a temporary one, according to the court. Mayor Adams said earlier this year his administration would not bring back those workers who had been fired because they didn't want to get vaccinated. How many workers is that? 1,400. 1,400 New Yorkers were ultimately let go, including a a bunch of firefighters and police officers. Adams came under fire for not allowing an exception to the mandate for those workers after he granted one to celebrities who are competing in sports or putting on performances in the city. One rule for you, thee, one rule for me. That's Eric Adams' mantra. States of emergency are meant to be temporary, the court said. The question presented is whether the health commissioner has the authority to enact a permanent condition of employment during that state of emergency. They ultimately found that commissioner did not have that right. That's another black eye against the COVID mob, the vaccine mob. It's almost every day we find out one more little tidbit that we were misled about many, many things regarding COVID-19 vaccinations and its treatments. To this day, none of the COVID-19 vaccinations are fully approved by the FDA. They want us to think that they were, 
but none of them were. Each of them were given EUA, emergency use authorization only. We're still not certain what was behind that, what was the purpose behind that. But I promise you there was and is a purpose behind it, and we're going to find out about it, and it may be, sadly, it may be too late for a bunch of people. There's another big election thing that is coming up. Republican candidates for governor and U.S. Senate seat in Nevada, they look like they've got a good shot to defeat Democrat incumbents in the midterms. A new online survey by Rasmussen Reports and the Capital Resource Institute found out that if the Senate election were held today, 48% of Nevada likely voters would vote for Republican former State Attorney General Adam Laxalt. Only 43% would vote to re-elect Democrat Senate candidate Catherine Cortez Masto. And then in the governor's race, 47% would vote for the Republican challenger, Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo. 42%, that's 47 to 42%, would vote to re-elect Democrat Governor Steve Sisolak. In the Senate race, 80% of Republicans would vote for Axe Laxalt. 81% would vote for Cortez Masto. Now, one point between the two. In other words, it's well within the margin of error. And that comes from voters not affiliated with either major party. Laxalt has an 18-point advantage there, 48 to 30% over Cortez Masto. Similarly, in the gubernatorial contest, 77% of Republicans would vote for Lombardo. 76% would vote for Sisolak. Now, why do I bring this up? I'm pointing out that the incumbents, the incumbents, and they're Democrats, the incumbents are struggling and we all knew or we all thought or we were all told and everybody was told for months and months and months and months, Democrats have all the answers. Every problem you have that was a result of Donald Trump being in office for four years, we're going to take care of it. And of course, they have one method to take care of all of them. Send us your tax dollars. We're going to spend them. And by the way, we're going to spend a whole bunch more than what you have given us in tax dollars, way more than what we have now. But it's going to make life for you better, make life for everybody better. Has it made your life better? <laughs> as Ronald Reagan said when he was running for his first term in office as president, he said, are you more well off today than you were four years ago? In other words, he was asking this guy, that represented you in the White House, did he make life better for you that got better through the four years of his administration? Or are you worse off? You can, you can ask that same question now. I'm surprised that uh, some of these candidates haven't done those exact things in debates. I mean, Dr. Oz could have asked anybody about that last night and talked to Fetterman about it. Oh, well. He missed an opportunity there. Maybe he'll get the word from me and he'll do it. Maybe in a television ad or something. <laughs> from Krakow to Grand Island, Milan to Hanoi, this is TNN, the Truth News Network. 
Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say... The what now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step -step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. Don't forget, top of the hour, Dunstan Teo is going to join us. He is a, uh, a billionaire. Yeah, he actually is. Um, but he is uh, one of the foremost experts in the world of cryptocurrency, where we're all headed. Um, he was in Bitcoin heavily. He was one of the co-founders of Philcoin, which is a brand new cryptocurrency that is out there. He's going he's gonna to tell us all about Philcoin and the difference between it and other cryptocurrencies. I'm going to get him to also tell you the story of a model that he and others created to turn an entire village or small town in India into a city that was using only cryptocurrency to transact in every way. There were no banks in the town. Of course, with cryptocurrency, you don't need a bank. Uh, it's kind of nice to have a cryptocurrency ATM around if you're into crypto because you can go to the ATM and withdraw from your funds there. A lot of big cities are beginning to have those. But it's interesting to understand the philosophy of the founders and why they founded Philcoin. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you find out what it's about, what it was structured to be, and where it's headed. In full disclosure, I will tell you this, I'm an investor in Philcoin. And uh, years ago, I became an investor in Bitcoin because our, our, our uh, company corporate computer network was hacked by those Russians that were out there locking down computer networks and blackmailing the people of these networks that owned them and the way you bailed them out was to use Bitcoin. And this was, I want to say, let's see, it's 22, probably eight years ago. I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. I didn't know anything about cryptocurrency. So I went across the street to Capital One where we banked. I told them what was going on, and they asked me, how many Bitcoins did they say you needed? And I think it was five. I don't even remember what the value was at that time, but it was a few hundred dollars is all. 
probably four, maybe $500. So Capital One got me that much Bitcoin out of our and deposited in our corporate account that we had to set up, our wallet, and I transferred it as per their instructions, the amount of Bitcoins that they needed, but I had bought more Bitcoins than what was needed. And so, thankfully, they turned our computer network back on, all our people went to work, and we just went on. I never thought one thing about those. We actually had, I think, five somewhere in our wallet, somewhere that we opened when we uh, were blackmailed and had to do that to get our computer network hooked up. So years later, about two years ago, a good friend of mine lives up in the Northwest in Oregon. He was one of the co-founders of, uh, uh, let's see, what was the machinery? Oh, shoot, the ones that have the bands that you, you work out with. He co-founded that company, and he got into cryptocurrency pretty heavy. So in a conversation, he said, do you have any Bitcoin? And I thought about it, and I said, yeah, I have, I think, five somewhere. And he said, what do you mean somewhere? And I told him the story, and he said, you don't know where they are, how to get into them. I said, I have this wallet, and I know how to get to the wallet, but I don't know how to get into it. And of course, if you understand anything about Bitcoin, you know one of the reasons it's popular is because it's secure. If you don't have the login information, nobody can get in your account, not even the company. To make a long story short, when he called me, he found where my wallet was and he found where I can log in, at least get on it and be recognized, but I don't have a password. Five Bitcoins, and at that time was when Bitcoin was up at $60,000 per coin. What a story, huh? (laughs) I'm worth a lot of money, a lot more money somewhere. I just can't access it. It was interesting yesterday in the wake of what we learned about how our education, our kids' teaching, and our levels dropped dramatically during our pandemic. And a lot of people are going crazy about it. Federal Education Secretary Miguel Cardona was on one television network and he was asked a lot about why what happened happened and what is the federal government going to do to get us out of that, get our kids out of that and get back on the road to normal learning after their education levels in math and reading and other levels went way, 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 way down. And everybody knows and admits that it was because of the lockdowns, kids not going to school, kids learning only on a computer, in a Zoom meeting, not going to classes, not integrating with fellow students. And it it, it cost our kids a whole lot. And they're all behind. So I wanted to let you listen to what the heavyweight in the Biden administration, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, had to say about it. Education officials across the country are rethinking their strategy after students posted alarming math and reading scores. The first national report card was released since the start of the pandemic, and it shows some major setbacks. Fourth grade students dropped to 36% proficiency in math. Those numbers are down from 41% in 2019. Reading proficiency also took a slight dip. The nation's eighth graders posted similar results. 
26% of eighth graders were deemed proficient in math. That's down from 34%. Reading proficiency dropped to 31% of students. U.S. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona joins us more from, uh, on all of this. Secretary Cardona, welcome. Uh, you have called these test results, quote, appalling and unacceptable. How do you intend to fix them? They are appalling and they are unacceptable. Thank you for having me here today. Uh, we have an opportunity here to make sure we double down on providing better uh, access to reading and math supports for our students. And let me also say this, the 2019 data, that was nothing to brag about either. We've lost our spot. We have to work uh, to make sure that our students here in the United States are number one again in the world. That's what we should be aiming for. Uh, we have an opportunity here with the American Rescue Plan dollars, with the same urgency that we had reopening our schools, to raise the bar for our students, to provide them more opportunities. That means having highly qualified teachers in every classroom for every student, providing uh, more opportunities after school, providing summer learning opportunities that give students uh, a chance to catch up on what was lost during the pandemic, but also raise the bar because those 2019 data uh, is not something that I, I, I aspire to achieve. Yeah. I want to go past that. Uh, Secretary, you know, one of the areas where especially students of color, black and Latino students are really lagging behind had to do with remote learning. Right. Students who did not have access to computers or good Internet or lived in housing, uh, multi-generational housing where they didn't have the quiet space to do classes. That points to perhaps a lack of preparation uh, from the department to, to enabling students to have what they needed to do to learn better. How is the department now equipping students uh, for moving forward if they have to do distance learning? And what kind of guidance do you think should have been in place in preparation to equip them with right. what they needed then? Uh, you're right. You know, when, when I came in uh, as Secretary of Education and uh, March of 2021, a year after the pandemic, there was very little guidance that went out. I was a commissioner in Connecticut, very little guidance that went out. Right away when we got in here, we went from 47% of the schools fully open to close to 100%, maybe nine months later. Um, we worked hard to pass the bipartisan infrastructure plan that's going to improve broadband access. Uh, through the American Rescue Plan dollars, $130 billion to our uh, k 12 schools to make sure students have access to technology and that we provide professional learning opportunities for teachers. What good is a laptop if we're not helping our teachers understand how to use that technology? So we have invested a lot, but that's just the beginning. We need to double down, as I said before, not only at the federal level, but also at the state level. Look, if this is not a wake-up call for governors, 39%, 41%, those are extremely low numbers. We can do better. Our students deserve it. Um, Secretary, I recognize that you only came into your position in 2021, and I want to go back to something you were saying about 2019 and those test scores uh, not being right. where they should have been anyway. Um, is this a failure of the Department of Education to actually get our students, regardless of their socioeconomic, race, or cultural background, to where they need to be in this country? Is it a failure of the Department of Education? I think all of us need to be uh, uh, look, looked at as responsible for m 
normalizing what you called out earlier. We have achievement gaps based on place and race uh, that have been normalized in this country for the last several decades. So what we're trying to do here, uh, as Secretary of Education, I'm really pushing hard to make sure that we put out those issues and, and communicate with families uh, where our students are, help families uh, hold our, our education community accountable for utilizing the American Rescue Plan dollars to help their children. Look, I'm a father of two high schoolers during this pandemic. How do you fix they it, were impacted significantly. How do, How do you, you fix, fix it? it? As I said earlier, you make sure you have highly qualified teachers in every classroom. You make sure you have after school programming. You have summer school programming, high quality content in those classrooms. We know what to do. Do we have the uh, willingness to invest in education long term? We can't just count on the American Rescue Plan dollars and the urgency of the president and half of Congress to get this fixed. This is a issue that has permeated for generations, for decades of underinvestment in education. If we're serious about closing these gaps and giving our students a chance to succeed, we need to invest in education and make sure that we're providing the resources to our students. What we're talking about today are teacher shortages. That's a symptom of underinvestment in our schools. Wow. Let's, let's be honest about what the issues are and let's address them together. Please understand who was just speaking, the number one person in education in the federal government. He was asked a question, a very reasonable question. What are you going to do to fix it? Now, I'm paraphrasing the word that uh, was used in the question, but it was asked, and that was the substance of what was asked. Did you hear an answer? No, you didn't hear an answer. He danced all around it. Oh, we've got this money. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that. But he never said what was going to be done to fix the problem. We've got a teacher shortage. We've got funding problems. We didn't get everything implemented during the COVID-19 pandemic. But there's no solution that he gave. In other words, the Biden administration doesn't have a clue. In fact, they don't even know if they're going to be able to get it handled. And personally, I don't think they are. I think education needs to be taken out of the federal government. I think we need to abolish the Department of Education. We don't need it. Every state has a state Department of Education, and then every county or every parish has their own school board that runs the education part of schools. The funding doesn't need to go from the states to Washington, D.C., and then some of it come back to the states and then be filtered down to the towns and cities and counties and parishes. That's just a waste. There are too many layers of bureaucracy there. Novel idea. Have you checked out your state and how much money they spend in public education? I mean, you can find it online. It's public information. You can find out what your state spent on per student averages in the previous year on education. Now, that includes everything, uh, administrative salaries, infrastructure, the cost of running schools, how much money is spent on each student that's there. You can come up with a per student number, dollar number. Why don't we do this? Why don't we give that money to the parents? And you don't have to send a check. They don't have to send a check the taxing authorities to us, they need to give the parents a voucher and let the parents take that voucher with their students to take their kids to the place where they want 
and feel their kids are going to get the best education. It's called school choice. Now, why do we have bureaucrats in D.C. determining that? I don't get it. I don't know. But it is what it is. We are having a telephone problem on the end with Dunstan Teo. We are waiting for him to get it cleared up and call back. We're going to move forward, and as quickly as he calls in, we will switch over from the conversation we're involved in and uh, talk to him. It's really important that you learn about Philcoin, and he's the expert. You know, there's some other thing, some other big election going on in two weeks in the Senate. Very few are talking about it. Representative Tim Ryan, he's a Democrat up in Ohio. He's running against J.D. Vance now. Tim Ryan's a Democrat. He was a heavy favorite for a while, principally because he's serving in the Congress right now, the House of Representatives. But um, he's squirreling out on a bunch of the questions that are being asked of him, not just by J.D. Vance in, uh, in debates, but by people and even by media folks. He says he's still undecided on two major Ohio ballot initiatives including one on whether illegal immigrants should be allowed to vote in Ohio elections. So just just a, a few days ago, I mean, we're looking down the barrel of the election day. Ryan says he doesn't know where he stands on that. And these are Ohio's two major ballot initiatives. The first asked whether judges should be required to consider public safety risk when they set bail for suspected criminals. The second would amend the Ohio state constitution to bar illegals from voting in state and local elections. He said yesterday he hasn't read them and intends to dig into them before he makes a decision. Does that sound like leadership? I mean, those are pretty big deals, at least especially for the people of Ohio. His failure to take a side, it sets him apart from every major political candidate in Ohio. His opponent for this election is J.D. Vance, and Vance said he'll vote yes on both ballot initiatives, calling them common sense. Those initiatives have also been endorsed by Republican Governor Mike DeWine and his Democrat challenger, Nan Whaley. Every state Democrat senator voted in favor of placing the two issues on the ballot. Ryan's trying to paint himself as a moderate in a state that overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump, but his shifting policy positions and his left-wing voting record is a major source of attacks by J.D. Vance, who, by the way, is endorsed by virtually every Republican in the state, including the retiring Senator Rob Portman. Conservative activists in the state, they say the initiative's or an attempt to try to protect Ohio from the problems facing dark blue cities like New York and San Francisco. Local governments in the liberal cities voted to allow non-citizens to vote in local elections, although a New York state judge blocked the city's law from taking effect in June. Both those cities are also facing a spike in crime. Critics say, Left-wing judges release suspected criminals without bail is a contributing factor. I have yet to find any way to reconcile letting criminals 
people that have actually been caught in the middle of crimes, letting them get out with no bail, waiting trial and trusting them to be good citizens, not do anything wrong and make sure they come back to court. That is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. They're criminals. (laughs) Criminals don't do what they're supposed to do. (laughs) They just don't do it. Now, have you heard about the granny with a grudge? This is really a sad and almost terrifying story. There is a video online, a live video from a home camera that shows a pickaxe-wielding woman that's 65 years old. She smashes up a Pasadena, California home where a terrified woman was babysitting, and she caused about $20,000 in damage. Granny with a grudge. Her name is Beverly Baker. She's 65 years old. 65, and she was caught wielding that weapon in the attack. She was filmed by Armand Chudrian's ring camera approaching the house, then smashing through windows before she walked away. His mother-in-law was in the home with his baby daughter who was sleeping in a bassinet near one of the windows. He says the baby would have been seriously injured if her grandmother hadn't saved her. So what is this about? Well, it's unclear. She is being held in custody as in due in court in the morning. Records show she lives across the street from these folks and he's a doctor. Now, this is not an isolated event. Crime, bad crime, hard crime in Los Angeles. It's just zooming, getting higher and higher. And criminality is going through the roof. And law enforcement there, you got this George Soros funded and put in office district attorney in Los Angeles who is totally soft on crime. And he wants to give criminals opportunity to go out and repeat not hold them, that sends a message to the criminal element in any city, but especially L.A. And uh, the Los Angeles populace is dealing with this. Can you imagine if your ring camera showed somebody, a woman, in the the middle of the day, and I mean, she's dressed nice. I'm looking at a picture of her. She's she's African-American, but she's got on a really nice dress and a top carrying a pickaxe walking up the sidewalk, turning into your walkway to your front porch, carrying a pickaxe, and then the ring camera shows her just using the pickaxe to destroy your front porch with your baby girl in a bassinet inside. That's happening all over the United States right now, stuff like that. I don't understand it. Very few. Law enforcement, they're just overwrought with incidents like this happen. Very few law enforcement agencies in the nation have the number of cops that they had before the pandemic because of the get rid of the police stuff that's gone on over and over among politicians in some of these left-leaning cities and states. And that sends a message to the criminal element. So it just emboldens them. They're getting more and more egregious doing more and more criminal activity, and they're not paying a price for it. So it's going to continue to grow if they don't do something. If you just joined us, 
for the conversation with Dustin Teo. We have a telephone problem on his end. We talked earlier, right after we went on the air, and he basically said, I'm excited. I'll talk to you at 10 o'clock, and uh, we can't make a connection. So we're still working on that, and we'll be back, hopefully, with Dustin Teo on the phone right after this. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. <laughs> what are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home. But now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Conservative thought, not just talk. At TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. I am so sorry. We can't get Dustin on the phone. Uh, I understand he's been trying to call in and he has a problem on his end. We're going to just continue and when, if and when, he, uh, he gets through We'll immediately put him on the air and bring him to you. I've been looking forward to this. And after talking with him, I know he has. In fact, he told me I'll come on your show anytime. I want to talk to your your followers. He's one of those kind of guys. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm 69. And uh, I told you the story briefly about how I even learned anything about cryptocurrency. I learned about it the hard way. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, it's time that we all learned about it. So I dived into it when I had a conversation with him and one of his uh, co fellow co-founders of Philcoin. And that's why I brought him back. I want him to tell you about it directly. I'm not going to try to tell the story, but it enticed me for multiple reasons, more so not to make money necessarily, but to put my money in a safe spot. And in banks right now, I don't care what anybody tells you, it's not a safe place to keep your money. Why? Because of very quiet legislation that was passed. Your bank, here he is, he's calling right now. Let me get him on the phone. Hang on here. Dunstan, are you there? Man, I'm sorry we missed you. I just received this message. Okay. Well, Welcome again back to TNN Live. I was just telling the people one of the things I wanted you to do when you came back on the show. We talked a couple of weeks ago when you were here. 
we talked about the formation of Philcoin, and we basically said it's different from other cryptocurrencies that are out there. And I haven't told the people the story, the history of Philcoin and how you and why you and your co-founders established it, and especially the way that it was established. Will you tell us the history of Philcoin, how it became what it is today, and explain the differences between Philcoin and some of the other cryptocurrencies? Oh, definitely. I'll talk about the the um, the history of Philcoin first and how Jerry Jerry Lopez, uh, who's a minister of God, uh, started this process. So when he was young, he, he always had a belief. He always had a dream or he always wanted to change the way giving happens. And, but you know, he came from a poor family in Puerto Rico, you know, they had only one set of sports shoes when they came over to United States and that didn't seem to be possible. But along the way, God blessed him, uh, allowed him to create a couple of businesses in United States. And now he's a two figure digit uh, millionaire. So with that, uh, he has always been looking at how giving needs to change uh, within the churches, within charitable organizations. And that's how Philcoin came about in his spirit. So that's on his part. So we both have a mutual friend uh, who's uh, quite a pioneer in the early days of uh, cryptocurrencies. He's called Chris Elms. So he tricked us into meeting each other. <laughs> he tricked you. <laughs> yeah. So he told Jerry that uh, I am interested in investing in Fieldcoin. And I didn't know anything about Fieldcoin. I didn't know anything about Jerry and so on. I was in Dubai at that point of time. <laughs> yeah. And then he told uh, he told me that I'm meeting a minister of God who wants to speak to me, you know, about God and so on. I, I was excited, uh, yeah, because I, I tend not to like to meet uh, people much. I'm a bit recluse in nature. Um, and, you know, I don't like to be pitched uh, cryptocurrency projects because as an old guard in the Bitcoin space, I receive like, at least four emails a day regarding, you know, people wanting me to invest in their companies or being part or to be advisors and so on. Yeah. So <laughs> you thought this was going to be another pitch. Uh, I, I thought that, you know, I was going to meet a pastor and we're going to talk about God because I have not spoken to a minister or pastor for like uh, 10 plus years after I left the church. So that, that is another part of the journey. So this so, guy, uh, this guy that you were going to meet is rich Wilkerson, right? Uh, no, this guy that I'm going to meet is, uh, Jerry Lopez. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's the other, he's the other, uh, he's the main founder. I'm the co-founder after I got into Philcoin. So when we met in Dubai, he told me, he started pitching to me. And I got extremely irritated because I'm like, um, yeah, I'm supposed to be speaking to a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> we are supposed to be speaking about God, but here is this pastor 
coming over to talk to me about blockchain projects and getting me to invest. <laughs> so I turn over to everyone and I ask them straight. Um, I was told that I'm going to meet a minister. Um, I'm going to meet a pastor. Uh, but then it looks like, you know, I'm going to be pitch a project. Uh, what am I doing here for? <laughs> but of course, uh, what happened was, you know, he talked about the project and then while he was speaking, uh, suddenly the Holy Spirit stirred me up and asked me to listen closely. Yeah, because in the early days of uh, Bitcoin, God told me that Bitcoin is the end time transfer of wealth for the body of Christ. Wow. But, yeah, so it's interesting, right? And then I went to different churches in Southeast Asia and I told them about Bitcoin. <laughs> what do you think happened? Well, they told you you were stupid. <laughs> yep. And they, they told me I was stupid. They told me that I was a scammer and I was kicked out from quite a few of the churches. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> well, now they know, and obviously they're inviting me back like to the churches, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the, the, the ties would have been interesting. So, yeah, ten <laughs> <laughs> yeah. percent of a whole lot is a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So, so, so with that, right? Um, so, we, but we know that our God is a God of second chances. Yes. And then when when Jerry was speaking to me about Philcoin and the Holy Spirit served me and told me second chance, second chance. So I'm like, cool, okay, now this is interesting. But I, I, I went back to God again and I said, you know, God, I need to test you on this because if I'm going to put my name publicly behind this, if I'm going to support it, I'm going to bring the network in, I'm going to need three things to happen. One, end of self. Two, end of denominations. And the last one, end of state and nations. Now explain those. Explain those. Yeah, those will be interesting, right? So these three things happen. And that's why, you know, I'm full on to supporting Philcoin. So the end of self will be this. Because Jerry Lopez is a minister. Yes. And he's a businessman. So I need him to come to the end of himself to make sure that, you, you know, his ego and whatever, none of this was in. So I gave him the worst business deal any businessman would ever receive. <laughs> <laughs> you were, you yeah. were at that time, you were probably hoping that it wouldn't come to pass. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I, I don't need more companies. I don't need more work. <laughs> I don't need more things to do. I already have a ton of things to do regarding Bitcoin and the different nations. So I'm like, you know, I don't want to be part of any company yeah. or even to be like running it day to day. I understand. Yeah, so it's I, a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I, I told the Holy Spirit this. Okay, I'm going to give Jerry the worst business deal. So I told Jerry this, and he has to accept it that day. On the day I gave him the deal. So that shouldn't be possible to any businessman. I told Jerry this. 
I am going, I'm not going to invest in Fucoin. I'm not going to invest in your company. I know you spend $4 million of your money. I'm not going to invest anything. Instead, I'm going to take 50% of your company away. 50%. (laughs) Hey, I'm, I'm a businessman and I'm an entrepreneur. I've started the, this company is uh, something that I started. And if somebody came to me and told me what you told Jerry, I'd laugh Mm -hmm. at you and show you the door. Yep. So what did he, what did he say? What did he say? And ourself. I think the Holy spirit spoke to him at that point in time. Of course, we have our discussions later. <laughs> yeah, so the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he's, instead of rejecting me outright, he started asking me, so what does that entail? Then I said that I would be public with Philcoin. Uh, I will support it. I'll bring my network in. I didn't expound on it. I just told him generally what this is. And on that day, he said yes. So he answered your first question. Correct. So the Holy Spirit was tested in a sense three times. <laughs> so one, end of self, that was done. Two, end of denominations. The body of Christ always has a major problem. Different denominations, they or different pastors, they like to use theology or because they don't believe what other denominations don't believe in and they don't support one another they don't work together they talk smack about one another and so on it's kind of like it's kind of like political parties yep correct yeah but the worst is actually they don't like to tell people up front what is the main reason the main reason is they are like tribes they tend to want to keep their own denominations, their own people, based on ego and tribalism. And, and, and this is a problem. And, and why tribalism? Because they see people as resource. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And, and because they see them as resource, people are scarce resource then. If people don't believe in them and believe other denominations, they will start going to other churches. And if they start going to other churches, their main church will lose, you know, their ties, they'll lose their network and so on. So people become resource. And because of this ego and tribalism, the church, the body of Christ isn't united. (laughs) It has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, to all the audience here, uh, so from this, you know, I'm extremely straight laced. Maybe then you might start like, like uh, <laughs> receiving emails or yeah. calls or messages yeah. Yeah. telling you to like, you know, you might not want us to come up again because I'm like <laughs> saying some things that people don't want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but the interesting thing is this in Philcoin, there are hits or major generals in different denominations that came together to become ambassadors and senior ambassadors of Philcoin. Interestingly, some of these people, (laughs) ministers of God, 
would not even be sitting on the same table eating a meal together because of geological differences. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but because of Philcoin, they are actually united together, working together for a common cause, creating the monetary policy for the body of Christ. Now, you've talked about that, the end-time currency or the way for the end-time body of Christ to have money and spend it. Tell us how this project was structured and where it is today and its purpose. Hang on just a second. I lost you. Let me go back. Okay, I lost you for just a second. Go ahead. Yeah, so the main understanding the body of Christ need to understand is together as the body of Christ, we control 20% or we own 20% of all the banking deposits across the financial institutions, which by economics, we actually control the current, uh, the economy. Because 20% is enough to control any economy or any currency on earth. I didn't know that. So th- these are some data that, the, that you, you know, are hidden from the body or, you know, you would have to collate and calculate it together. Yeah. So with that, right, it, it's the same thing as the U.S. needing to control 20% of the U.S.D. So okay. because with 20% of, if they own 20% of the USD, they start controlling back the the US, the economy and the capital markets itself. That's also one of the reasons why they are massively printing the bills. <laughs> yeah, they're doing that so, often. Mm-hmm. So with this understanding, the same thing, the body of Christ needs to own their own currency where they are willing to transact. And the body of Christ needs to own 20% of that currency so that they control the value of the currency. They control the movement and the economy of that currency itself. So this is what Philcoin was made to do, to become the currency for the body of Christ. So instead of the 20% that's being left in deposits in the bank accounts around the world, if this 20% goes into a deflationary currency, similarly to like something like Bitcoin itself, where there's a fixed supply, where no new amount can be printed, the value of their currency will skyrocket and the body of Christ would be able to see the end-time transfer of wealth that God meant for them. So what you're saying is whatever the original creation of Philcoin, the number of Philcoins, it will never increase. There will be nobody down in the basement making Philcoins and bringing them upstairs and selling them. There is X number and that's all there will ever be. Correct. And they can always see that on the blockchains itself. And they can see because the blockchain is transparent. So if a new field coin is created, they can see on the blockchain. Gotcha. So it's, it can be publicly constantly 
audited at any one time. I've never heard of this. Never have I heard of this until you shared it with me months ago. Um, It's different. There's nothing like it on earth. So what you're saying is the church, and I'm talking about the body of Christ, people that buy fill coins and own fill coins, you can leave them in your uh, currency wallet, your cryptocurrency wallet, and the value is going to grow and you don't have to worry about somebody mining additional Bitcoin because there are uh, 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 additional fill coin because there'll never be more than there is today. Yes, that's what I mean then. Exactly what I mean. So what is the overall philanthropic plan for people that get involved in Philcoin? That resonated with me more than anything else you ever told me. So Philcoin is made to create giving behaviors in people. You know, we, we are humans, we are creatures of habit. If we consistently do something, it becomes a habit. Now, we are supposed to be giving creatures by nature. It's exactly how societies are created. When people share resources, when people start working together, all these are giving behaviors. And, and this was exactly how what God meant to me. Because in Malachi, that's the only verse in the Bible that God says, test me in my giving nothing else so giving is the utmost most important behavior in in humankind now with Philcoin, what we have done is this whenever people bring others into Philcoin, they get this thing called a give five get five program where they receive five dollars worth of Philcoin in their wallet now this is retrospective, uh, which means that it will be given along the way. Now, when they want to, when they want to use that five dollars instead of them using the full five dollars, they would have to give two fifty of the few coin away to any of the charitable organization, whether or not it's the church, uh, whether or not it's an individual, whether or not it's for a cause, and so on. And then they could start assessing the other $250 worth of Bitcoin. So this, by basic use, already starts generating a giving habit. And every time people donate to charity, half of it also needs to be given away. So every time people want to do something, they start generating a habit of giving. And also Fewcoin on a company or on an ecosystem is giving to everyone at the same time. For for example, we have tied up with the the largest education soft skill education network in United States. And we will be giving out free ed, soft skill education courses that are accredited across colleges and universities across United States to people around the world. We're giving it for free. We are working with telcos to give out one month free data to certain countries 
which we have signed telco deals with, for them to assess their data free. So, and even behaviors, like say, for example, when they start using the Fucoin wallet, as we roll out, they will start generating Fucoin on their own. That's interesting. It's not a, it's not a, um, a pyramid structure. It's, um, again, so many fill coins out there. When I open my fill coin account, every person that I brought that got a fill coin account, I'm going to receive $5 worth of fill coin in my yep. account. Now, when I want to spend that, I spend two fifty. dollars and I donate the other two fifty to a charity. Yes, spreading the wealth. It is. So it it, it is spreading the wealth that causes wealth creation to happen. Instead of generating wealth yourself, it's always about spreading the wealth. <laughs> this is the first time this has ever been in any way possible. It would never happen with fiat money. It would have to be done this way. And this is a way where I want you to tell us quickly how you guys set that one project up. I think it was in India and and created a scenario where this village could use Philcoin to transact and how it worked. Okay. So, um, that was an early experiment that I did uh, a couple of years ago. Although it wasn't about Philcoin, it was about another cryptocurrency. So another cryptocurrency was created for a, an entire village itself, um, giving them their own wallets, their own indexes, and their own marketplace itself. And this actually is not a village, it's a town. So this town started transacting fully off the financial ecosystem, fully off fiat, fully off the currency of that country, and even off the currency that the town generally uses. So no banks involved in it? No banks, no no governments involved, no banks, no financial institutes. And they were able to buy and sell goods using their own currency itself. Here's an experiment which evolved into something that became not an experiment anymore it was working yeah because it worked yeah (laughs) yeah and they're still transacting right now that's amazing so the golden objective for philcoin is to do something similar to that and let me give you a scenario um a um a missionary from africa comes to my church and uh gives us a, a lesson tells us what he's doing, and we want to help him get it done. So he doesn't even have to physically have a bank account for us to help him with. I've got Philcoin in my account. He's got a Philcoin wallet. We can bless him by just transferring some of my Philcoin to him. And even when he's back in Africa, if he's got a cell phone, All it takes is a quick transfer over the internet to fund a ministry in Africa. Yes. And then churches 
across Africa or other countries can become money transmitter. You know, just like in the early days of the church, uh, a lot of businesses actually gathered around the church because the church always had funds. The church acted as a money transfer agent in the early days. And this was wiped out from like mainstream media and mainstream uh, mainstream history. So people don't know much about this thing that happened. And that was what made the churches extremely productive because they were running a business entity itself, a money transfer entity. So then the churches across Africa and other countries, now what they can do is they have a treasury of a small amount of field coin, a small amount of the fiat equivalent. So whenever the ministers wants to use in terms of fiat, before field coin becomes a full-fledged currency itself, like like the USD, the euro, and so on, the church can become the money transmitter agent, which then the church runs a money transmitter business. It seems like that would be a really good way to have money, but the money be real money, a dollar's worth a dollar, but it wouldn't be a dollar, it would be cryptocurrency, and it never changes. If it changes at all, it goes up in value. Yep. Uh, uh, and that's the way goods and services are, are bought and paid for in the church, and it is kind of like an enclosed operation. Anybody that is invested in Philcoin, they always know they're going to be safe when it comes to currency. And the big thing as we get to the end of this that I want you to share is where does the federal government come in on this? So this is where the third point comes on, the end of state and the end of nations. Now, my third thing to the Holy Spirit was this, I need to start to see signs that God is blessing this currency, that nations and states will start to come and work together. So the early signs of this was this, some of our early investors were actual councilmen, ambassadors of countries, uh, political people. There were politicians that also invested in Philcon. And then later on, we start working on with uh, kings and priests in different countries. And right now, we even have certain countries coming over to speak to us, having discussions that they are contemplating using Philcoin to replace their country's currency. Honestly, just imagine something like that happening throughout the entire globe. That, that, it, it's it's mind-boggling. It's so simple. The operation seems to be so simple. And we look at our dot. We were told, I guess, a few days ago that since this administration, the Biden administration, has been in office less than two years, that $100 bill I had when Joe Biden was elected president back in 2021 when he was inaugurated, it's worth only 80 cents today compared to the $80 today compared to what it was worth that day, $100. 
That doesn't happen in Philcoin or cryptocurrency. Well, it okay, it does in the short run. In the long run, it doesn't happen like this. So in, in the short run or like within a short period of time, you will see fluctuations, up and down, up and down fluctuations because it's a cryptocurrency. It's being traded daily. The value goes up and down. Sure. But I need the audience to also understand that it's not just a cryptocurrency that is fluctuating. It's also like what you say then, the fiat value the fiat money itself fluctuates all the time. Yes. But on a long-term curve, the fiat money that we are holding decrease in value, or should I say, lesser amount of things or lesser value of things, goods and services can be bought with the same dollar bill, fiat dollar bill. But for a deflationary cryptocurrency, because of its fixed supply and if more and more people need it to transact or they want it to transact it will have to deflate which means that its value will keep increasing in the long run not within a short-term time frame so i would think in that scenario now that i understand it i didn't before not this way but it would be a good place to invest long term Yes. You said something when you were with us a couple of weeks ago about your recommendation for our Americans, people in the church, Christians especially, of what to do with money that we have in our bank accounts now. And you said to keep a certain portion in fiat dollars, but put the rest in cryptocurrency. And of course, now we're talking about Philcoin. Would you explain that again? Okay. So, I would like to tell everybody that the money you place in the banks are not sovereign to you. The moment you place your money in the bank account, the banks own your money, not you. Simple. A simple test would be to go to the bank right now and tell them that you want to draw all your cash. See what happens. Well, I I would think my bank wouldn't be as upset as your bank would be because <laughs> I think you have a few more zeros in your account than I do in mine. It's true, but imagine like the whole body of Christ going over to the banks and saying that, you know, they want to draw all the money in their bank. Yeah. So the banks like to call this a bank run. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what they don't like to tell you is, is your own money, but they call it a bank run, as if, you know, we are stealing money from the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's our money. It is our money, right? Yeah. So just imagine the churches around the world start doing that. And then now, they, they only leave a certain amount that they need for cash flow in the bank. They leave a certain amount, like, for their daily things, for what they need to pay for monthly I generally recommend maybe a three months cash flow in the bank and the rest should be in cryptocurrencies for long-term investments. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know I'm a, I'm one person. I don't trust the, I don't trust the American banking system. I've seen what has happened through the years. They, they grab power over people because of money 
and power that comes with being the ones that regulate money. And it's become a bureaucracy that is, at its core, it's evil. But with cryptocurrency and specifically Philcoin, it looks like it's a way for us to find a clean way to transact for everything we need long-term and for our value of what we have to be stable. And if it moves at all, long-term, it's going to move up in value. Yes, and then the the word you use, clean, is actually important because it, there's propaganda around the world, mainstream media, financial institutes, governments around the world tell people that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are scams. They are used for money laundering because of privacy, the, the way their funds transfer are private. But that's not the case. <laughs> Everything can be seen on the public ledger. It's just that you don't know who is transferring <laughs> to who. That's it. And our government, our U.S. government, if we make a major move towards cryptocurrency away from the fiat currency that they operate, they will go nuts. Every government in the world will go nuts. But interestingly, God has placed things in the heart of the new leaders of different countries. And quite a few of these leaders, I would assume that it's close to at least 20-30% of the countries on earth. They are looking to move or to create their own cryptocurrencies or to go into a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Philcoin to replace their current currency because they know it doesn't work. The current currencies doesn't work. It's not a sustainable model. And their countries are being destroyed and pillaged daily because of them using the current financial ecosystem. So... Wrapping things up, Dunstan, the way we function now financially, the banks and basically behind the banks would be our federal government. They have unfettered access to our fiat dollar accounts. They do, because when we open the bank account, we sign a document. And that document is a contract that takes away all ownership of our money that we put in the bank. In cryptocurrency that's not the case they only know in the public domain you you mentioned a few minutes ago they only know the total not who is transacting but the total transactions and they don't know who did what that are part of that can the government access our cryptocurrency accounts they can't if you do not kyc your account to a financial institute. Like say, for example, um, for people that change Bitcoin into USD, for example, the smart ones will do it in such a way it's called over the counter. It's a bit inconvenient, but it's a step. So what do we mean by over the counter? We actually send Bitcoin to someone and that person gives us cash rather than to a financial institute where we send the Bitcoin to. Or if we want to do that, we only take a small, certain proportion of our wallets, take that KYC wallet with a financial institute and make sure that the rest are not with the financial institutes. I get it. And so that means 
they could not come in and take our the cryptocurrency, the full amount. Yes. Yeah. And, and interestingly, the old guards in the crypto space, what happens is we cross the borders of any country with billions of dollars, if not more, and the governments either don't know, they can't do anything about it, they can't even stop us from transacting any amount that we want to transact with another individual or another business and so on. Wow. Well, Dunstan, it's amazing what you guys have done, what you've put together. And I'm glad I'm a part of it, and I'm glad you came here. I want you to come regularly and give us, as this thing grows, give us indication of where it's going and make sure that as our audience grows, which it does every day, people will know how to do it and do it in the right way and the safe way and a way to give, a way to give because that's developing, as you said, all around the world. Oh, definitely, Then uh, I'm extremely excited to be on this show. I'm also excited to be part of like uh, some of the renowned guests, uh, the renowned guests that, are, that have graced this show itself. Yes. And I'd like to share with the audience more regarding how to take back their sovereignty, the sovereignty that they have given away. Dunstan Teo, you're amazing. Thank you, Dan. I'm glad I call you a friend. I'm glad. I'm glad to call you a friend too, Dan. You have a great week, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, you have a great week, and God bless. Thank you. Thank you. Dunstan Teo. I learned a lot. I don't know about you. And that's going to wrap up the show today. We'll have him back soon. Think about and look at Philcoin. See you tomorrow. I look at you See the love there that's sleeping While my guitar gently weeps And I look at the floor And I see it needs sweeping Still my guitar gently weave I don't know why nobody told you how to unfold your Stay, we will surely be learning. We'll be learning.
Sleeping, where my guitar. 